0: You're listening to Vinyl Tap, inside the music industry with Michael Parisi.
1: Hi, my name is Michael Parisi. I've been a part of the music industry for over 30 years. I've worked in all facets of the business, from promotions, marketing, A&R and artist development. I've also worked for and with major record labels. I've run my own labels and my own music publishing company, and I'm still an artist manager today. So, take a seat in the room with me as I talk to some of the biggest movers, shakers, and visionaries of the music industry. There'll be lots of stories, insights, and intel that you won't hear anywhere else. So sit back, relax, and welcome to Vinyl Tap. On this week's episode, I speak with Linda Basides, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for over 30 years. Linda is one of the most respected music publishers in Australia. She's been at Mushroom Music Publishing most of her working life, which is some 23 years, and at the helm as Managing Director for about four years now. She's super passionate about music, and Australian music in particular, and we've spent many a night seeing bands together, listening to music, and even dancing in her lounge room. Well, that's me, not her. And then when you look at the artists she signed... Or worked with, Vance George, Julia Jacqueline, Amy Shah, the Teskey brothers, Archie Roach, Yothu Indy, Missy Higgins, and then consider the international acts actors worked with, Garbage, London Grammar, The Chili Peppers, you can't but help get the feeling that she's still at the top of her game. I suggest you sit back with a cup of tea or a glass of wine and listen to Linda speaking about her view of the current music and publishing business. Here We are Linda's place in Linda Basidi's place in Thornbury. I was Correct. going to say Thomas Town. <laughs> <laughs> so, Linda, I was trying to work out how long I've known you for this morning, you know, and I was racking my brain and going, When did I first meet Linda? and I worked it out. Now, you ready for this? Yep. This shows you how old you and I are. Don't tell
0: 1987
1: 88 at the Jump Club in Collingwood. And for those who don't know, the Jump Club. It probably doesn't exist anymore, does it? As no. a as a venue,
0: unfortunately, unfortunately it not. No. But it was
1: owned by um, uh, Bob Starkey, who was in Skyhooks, and it was a fantastic. It was more. It was more a scene too, because you had bands downstairs all weekend, and upstairs you had this fantastic bar. And you would work both, wouldn't you? Downstairs I, and
0: upstairs. Yeah,
1: and yep. we saw some amazing bands there over the years. I saw early models, early Hunters. Oh God, we saw the Saints church. Not so, Drowning Waving. Not Drowning Waving. Bear so many, Garden. Bear Garden. Oh, my Sam God. Sajafka. Sam Sajafka, Sam mm-hmm. Zajafka. That's going back a lot. Dogs in Space was based on his life. That's right. That's, it was a great place, wasn't it? Oh, what I a time it. for music.
0: It was the best. I mean, I it was hard working there because you would do the shift downstairs with bands and then you were sent upstairs to the bar. But, you know, we but were it young. But was,
1: it was a scene, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw so many bands and you met so many people. And that's where I first met you. You know, and you were like, oh, I love music. And I remember you being a massive music fan. And then the next thing you know, you were working at APRA in Melbourne. Yeah. How did that happen?
0: I lost my job. I was retrenched, my full-time job when I was in recruitment. And I did a season at Mount Buller. So I was working on the ski slopes. And I came back home and needed some work, so I was just getting some temporary jobs around. I got this job at APRA. I had no idea what APRA was. Um, as you mentioned, you know, I was always a music fan. Mm. I hung out in pubs and clubs. I collected vinyl. Yeah. Um, it was a really vibrant local music scene, so there was lots to do in Melbourne. And Still I a, is still is yeah. um, and I was obsessed with Australian New Zealand music in particular um, so I landed this job this temp job and
1: so when you say temp were you front desk or were you
0: yeah right just front desk Yeah, it was a two-person operation then um, in wow. South Yarra so I was the temp person it was meant to be for four weeks and they asked me to stay, so I stumbled and into. And who was
1: who was in charge? Who was your your boss? Jennifer Gome. Oh, way back then. Mm-hmm. And there was two of you in the office.
0: Well, I was
1: the third. The third, right? Yeah.
0: So Peter Schultz was the other person. Peter Schultz, I remember yeah. Peter. Yeah. He was a licensing. That's right. Person, and Jen was the manager, and right. I have her to thank.
1: Tiny operation. Yeah. What did you? How did you guys do it? I mean I mean I, I imagine there weren't as many members as there are now.
0: Um no, there 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 isn't. There wasn't, sorry, but I couldn't believe first off there a, there was a job that existed right. um where you dealt with, you know, songwriters and their music. So that was a huge Would have been a
1: dream come true. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I, I'm Raining getting paid for this.
0: hmm Yeah. Um, So I wanted to take advantage of that stroke of luck, and I worked really hard. and Jen asked me to stay, and I formed the first writers you know writer membership office in Melbourne. And do they
1: have one in Sydney?
0: Yeah, Sydney was the head office, so that was quite a large operation. Right. Melbourne at that stage was not like it is now. It was a poor cousin. Yeah. Down south. Yeah.
1: The Mexican. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um,
0: so I, I guess, you know, having a, a female manager who was encouraging and, you know, was progressive and wanted to expand the, the company was very helpful at the time. But it was pre-internet. Of course. So writers would come in and register their songs on handwritten cards on, on, on paper, yeah. Yep, and live performances were lodged at the end of each financial year, again by in hand. Writing, yeah. Yep. My God, <laughs> um, that's and, uh,
1: you know what? What do we do, Linda? How do we how do we get our work done back then? You know, without you know computers and email and internet in general. I mean, at that point, technology was like nowhere. I remember starting at Warner's around the same time you started at APRA, yep. and all and I walked into my office the first day and all I had was a small desk, a chair, a pad and a pen. Mm. And a phone, a rotary phone at that, you know, and yep. the old rotary, that's it. Yeah. And it was like when you made an appointment, you stuck to it because you couldn't change it, you know, midway down, you know, down the road when you were like going to meet someone, no. you, you had to just make that appointment. I mean, we just got by, didn't we?
0: We did. Everything was done face to face. So it was, a, yeah, it was a very different time. Very but then different. you actually got an insight, you know, into all of, particularly then it was very much a band situation. Mm. But into, you know, what was happening in a band situation, you know, you saw the fights in real time. In real time, <laughs> who wrote what? Yeah, because they'd of course, be arguing over it in the office. Um, there was.
1: Um, did you see anyone in particular you can talk about? Okay. Fight?
0: Go Some, on. Well, someone you used to work with, but
1: oh, go on.
0: That you signed.
1: Oh, really? Let me. Sorry, if I guess, will you say yes? No. Okay. <laughs> no, no.
0: But it was a challenging time because you had to engage with these writers, mm. and obviously, that's not like a very sexy part of the business when you're talking about, you know, royalties and. Income. I mean it's, it's it's essential. It's
1: essential. It's a vital part of the business. It's
0: a very vital part of the business. But you want to build rapport and relationships, you know. Yeah. So I started a, a drinks night and it started with or go records. So inviting Bruce Milne and Rosa. Greta Moon mm. into the office and all of their artists like Spider Bait, um, Pop and Mummers, the Meanies, et cetera.
1: Magic Dirt, I imagine. Or was that Dirt, a bit
0: later? Yeah. Yeah, they were they were Geelong based then, so they mm. didn't come in but um but later. Later definitely. They, they would have, yeah. And it was really important to kind of set up this um comfortable place for people to come in and feel like, you know, they could talk about these issues that they were having. Um you know, again, in not, a, not an area that was all that exciting. It's not, you know, you're not mm. making videos, you're not making records. So it's not. Yeah, it's know, the, not unsexy, the unsexy bit of the internet. The you unsexy know. bit, exactly. Yeah. But as you said, very important. Mm. But other than that, you know, um, we made this informal environment, and writers felt comfortable, and they did come in. But it was raw and hands-on. You know, the disagreements, the egos, the the breakups—it was all happening right in front of you. And you know, bands fought about who wrote what, but it taught me to navigate difficult situations and people. Um, but mostly I forged really great friendships and I and relationships with artists and managers in the industry because, mm. you know, everyone did do things face-to-face.
1: Face-to-face, yeah.
0: So it was very fast-tracked as well.
1: Yeah, and just be, let's rewind a bit because I ask this of everyone I'm, I'm interviewing in this series. what At what point in your life did you know that you wanted to be involved in the music industry or was it? happy accident like you said you were working one minute in recruiting next minute you're in you know, in the music industry you know as you because know, it was the music industry mm. which way you look at it mm-hmm. did you have plans in the back of your, your mind or did no. you did, did you say to yourself one day I want to be involved in the music industry or it just happened
0: no I, I stumbled into stumbled it, into it. Yeah. but
1: there would have been something that led you to like music I mean culturally what happened to you when you're growing up that made you want to be a collector of vinyl, mm. Mm. you know. What, what What made you love music that much? Surely there was something that happened through your childhood, through your teen years.
0: There's probably a, a, quite a few things. Mm. I mean, my, my parents were um, immigrants. Um, uh, they were very young when they had me. Um, so they held a lot of parties at my place and at their friends' places and it was the thing to...
1: You know what? The same thing happened with me. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's a very immigrants Italian Greek. Yours yeah. is Greek, obviously. Yep. yep. And they would throw parties at people's houses, and out would come. You know, the vinyl at some mm-hmm. some ungodly hour.
0: Yep. All night be, long.
1: All night long. It'd yeah. be Elvis. Yeah. You know, it'd be Johnny Cash. It'd be you know a lot the of country. Be, Beatles. <laughs> lot of country. A lot of country. I remember um, Loretta Lynn was played a lot. My auntie Nancy would play a lot of country. Um, Carl Perkins. I remember Johnny Cash. They used to love Johnny. They loved Johnny Cash. These yeah. old Italian ladies singing along to Burning Ring of Fire.
0: <laughs> My mum was Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson. There you yeah. go. Yeah, she would say she'd put her shoes under his bed anytime. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so so you, grew, you grew fond of music through those kinds of parties or well, through those kinds of social yeah, gatherings.
0: that's where it started. My yeah. grandfather yeah. would buy me um, vinyl singles Sorry, Suzanne by the Hollies was the first oh, single it's that he. Going way back. Yes, that he, I was five.
1: That's oh, true, but still the <laughs> Hollies.
0: Um, and you know, my mum would buy me vinyl records. Mm. You know, that was the the thing. Um, I went to see the Osmonds. I think it was 1977 with her. Donny
1: and Marie <laughs> Osmond. Where was that show? At
0: Festival Hall. Of course,
1: it was. Um, that would have been hilarious.
0: Yeah, yeah, but there was a great introduction to a whole different range of music, you know. there's a lot of Greek music
1: mm. and,
0: as I mentioned before, country music, but there was a lot of just, you know, popular music at the time, Fleetwood Mac, Dire Straits. Of course, um, as you
1: were growing up. Yeah, as you were growing so up. So music was all around you essentially mm-hmm. and that, that's what made you appreciate it. Yeah. Do you remember the first record you personally bought for yourself? Rod Stewart. Greatest hits? <laughs> I can't remember. Tonight's the night.
0: Yeah, exactly. I can't remember the one. I remember the cover, but I can't remember exactly which one. And
1: what about Australian artists? We you you fell in love with first? Was it? I mean, I remember loving Skyhooks as a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there was this moment where you know, because my cousins were older, so you're either in the Skyhooks camp or you're in the Sherbet camp, and I loved them both, and I didn't want to choose. (laughs) But yeah, definitely those. There was a lot from Countdown that you would discover. Yeah, I remember seeing Blondie for the first time on Countdown, and I just couldn't get over that when she turned around, she had a black patch of hair, and the front of it was was blonde. blonde.
1: You're like, like, oh wow, my God, is this that why is, she calls herself Blondie? Yeah,
0: this is like. Wow. Countdown
1: was our education, wasn't it? It was like a university, really, on TV.
0: Yeah, and the whole family watched Everyone it. Everyone
1: watched it. It was six o'clock every Sunday, and you'd, you know, either before or after dinner, and and like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, we, we discovered so many artists through Countdown. As daggy as it was, it was, it was also very cutting edge. I went to Countdown. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Not not the time Iggy Pop was on there. It was no, Mo- Molly
0: unfortunately. Was. I think it was Ted mulry gang.
1: <laughs> TMG. Yeah. But that was a great way to discover music, wasn't it, back then?
0: Oh, absolutely. It was our lifeline. You know, you'd have your audio cassette ready to, go. to tape music off the radio Yep, you're always bummed piracy There was DJ, piracy I know, I know and i work in publishing <laughs> um and there was you know the dj would talk over the intro or the outro and we'd, and we'd curse so we'd them wouldn't we? really disappointed we'd curse them mm-hmm. craig huggins
1: on 3xy or greg evans you go shut up. shut up i'm trying Steve. to tape acdc <laughs> exactly <laughs> but they did that on purpose you, you know that don't you
0: I do now. Yeah, yeah, they
1: did it on purpose. Yeah. So we, so people like you and I, kids like you, Sonny knows, kids would, wouldn't tape their favourite artists yeah. because they wanted. The record company said, "You must talk over them if you want us to spend money on your stations."
0: Did you ever win tickets?
1: I no. I won a record. I won the Clash's record, Sandinista, on 3xY with Greg Evans. I just, I, I kept ringing and ringing and ringing, and I, I just lucked out one night. And I answered the question right, and I forget the question, but he said, you can choose anything on the 3XY chart that you want. And the only thing I liked was The Clash. Yeah. You know? And I, I was like, Very oh, my cool.
0: God. Yeah. The only thing
1: I liked in the, on the, in the top 40, because it was around the time I remember Bob Seger and maybe Dire Straits, but that was the one record I went, yes, I want that. You That's want the only that. thing
0: i won. I like, won tickets to Boz Skaggs.: <laughs> Lido,
1: ran that era, Lido era. <laughs> so what was the first show you went to where you went, Oh, my God. Obviously, the Osmonds with your mum, but surely there was a show without your parents that changed your life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. There were so so many during that period. You know, it's everything from Sharon O'Neill to In Excess to, um, you know, I I, I was definitely a Tears for Fears fan as well. And there was the whole Flying Nun, you know, experience too, loved – the you chills. chills yeah. And the bats and straight jacket fits. Mm. Um, and there was, you know, this underground scene that was kind of bubbling and gurgling it away. It was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah. It was yeah. There was like beautiful noise and lots of, you know, fuzzy guitar and beautiful boys singing lots of beautiful the melodies. Ja- the <laughs> in leather jackets. In leather jackets. And then, you know, the women that were just wow, that's incredible. I wanna do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So and so, how did publishing evolve, or the, your role in publishing evolve? Obviously, APRA set you up for it, really, in it terms did. of your education. It's a natural progression.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, how I got the job yeah. at Mushroom. Yeah. Um. I left APRA. I was there for six years. And I felt knowing like,
1: knowing you had a job or.
0: Yeah. I left to go and work for Shock Music Publishing, Ooh. and I lasted three days. And left.
1: Who was running it then? Um, you don't remember? I don't remember. I don't want to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to have selective memory yeah, throughout this good, whole good. discussion. Fair enough. Let's not incriminate anyone. We no, don't need lawyers.
0: No, we don't. Um, and Shock was obviously a great company and mm. um, there was a lot, a lot of Australian music that was introduced via their, their distribution and labels, um, but... Yeah, I I think it was the culture. Perhaps it just you know it didn't suit me, and I I opted to
1: just leave. Yeah, that's a record in publishing for sure. Yeah, I think think so. (laughs) And then you went, and then you, and then mushroom.
0: Well, I was unemployed for quite some time. My friends would call me the bag lady of Richmond. Um, (laughs) I was in a share house in Richmond at the time. Um. And my housemate, Jane, was working at Mushroom. She was the international manager there at the time. And an A&R position became available at the publishing company and she told me about it, prompted me to go and interview. I mean, I knew Michael because, you know, I was working at APRA. I knew Ian James. Um, I knew a lot of the people that worked at Mushroom actually – So I I interviewed for the position and and got the position. So again, I kind of – I feel like I stumbled into that too. I wonder what would happen if it was
1: A&R for the recording side. You could have been an A&R on the recording side person. You could – potentially. Who knows? But it was A&R specifically for publishing, right? It
0: was, yeah. It was for Mushroom Music Publishing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was 1996.
1: Wow, that's a while ago, right? Mm -hmm. And what was was happening back then in terms of the music scene? and, And do you remember your first signing? I do. Um, Talk us through that because I'm interested in that.
0: Well, it was a, it was a very vibrant scene, mm. you know, in terms of the 90s. I mean, it was a pretty spectacular decades. Probably still one of the best decades I've ever experienced. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. In terms of music, mm. um, you know, it was a very peaceful time, relatively, in the world. Um it was a very prosperous prosperous time mm. um for music as well. Mm. People were buying, you know, CDs.
1: And it was post Nirvana, really, and but you know, the alternative music scene really exploded at that time. The nineties was like
0: It had, you, yeah, yeah. Grunge had well and truly you know, Rat Cat um All that stuff, yeah. was around. I mean Lime Spiders, there's so many examples of that as well. Mm. The grunge scene had exploded. I think with the um, grunge scene in particular, um, that was, you know, something that I really latched onto. Mm. You know, it was a significant impact on the music industry and popular culture. um, And it introduced like this raw, authentic sound that contrasted Mm. with, you know, the the, that polished, the polished pop of the time, you know, yeah, in, yeah, sound of the mainstream. Mm. So, yeah, it reshaped musical styles, but it also influenced so many other things, you know, mm. like attitude and fashion. And,
1: Definitely fashion, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And what was your first signing then in, in that era?
0: Um, my very, very first. first signing was um, a band called Not From There. So, I started in Mushroom in September, I think, in 1960 uh oh, no, Um and I signed not from there in nineteen ninety seven. They were a three piece um I know Brisbane yes. band. Yes. They kind of had this industrial indie rock
1: very German
0: sound. Yes. The the, the lead singer and the lead guitarist was Austrian. Mm-hmm. Um their single Sick Uffnen was German lyrics. That's right. Um their debut album sound on Seven won Best Alternative release at the ARIAs yeah. in I think that was nineteen ninety-nine and they signed to Billy Gould's label in the US who was F- from Faith No, no More. More. Yeah.
1: And to Steve Cross here wasn't Infectious, it? Infectious, yeah. Infectious, yeah.
0: And that was another thing about mushroom. Like there were so many people working in that building. It was a very Vibrant building still is, you know. Dundas Lane is very much really known for that. Time. And when I first started, um, I'd come from APRA, where I just saw, you know, female role models—not only my manager, but everyone in the Sydney office, you know, who held these high positions. And then I moved to Mushroom, and there's just all these amazing women around. Well, me.
1: Michael was 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 renowned for that, wasn't he? Giving giving you know women a go in his company. He was surrounded by Incredible people, incredible yeah. women. Yeah, you know? but
0: in- incredibly rare in our industry. Very rare,
1: particularly for the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Having worked at a multinational, it was nothing like that. I remember going to Mushroom Office for the first time and going, wow, this is like the revolutionary. You know, Michael had the foresight. And also, I remember asking him why he he said, because they work harder and they're smarter than us.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, that's disappointing. It's it's true, though. Well, the work harder part, I mean, but we are smarter. smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And I tend to agree. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Michael then, because he was a guiding light through much of your, or most of your career, I'd say.
0: Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How did you get along with Michael, and, and, and what did he teach you?
0: Um, I was very close to Michael because mm. it was over a long period of time that we built a relationship. I wasn't I wasn't sure about him in the beginning. You know, he was – Well, no one's sure
1: when you meet Michael no. for the first time. You just go, what was that? <laughs> no. What was that whirlwind that just – you know, like a tornado breezing through the room and then you go – kind of like – it's like a cartoon where you sort of get up and you've got messy hair and you go, what happened? Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: it's exactly like that. Mm. You know, you can't understand what he's saying and – Everything's just like this wild ride. Everything's an adventure. You don't really know what's going to happen from, you know, one meeting to another. But what Michael did best, I think, and not just for me, but for others that I saw around me, was trust you. You Mm. know, he gave you autonomy. He backed your ideas. Mm. Um, But, you know, he threw you in the deep end and you would either sink or swim. So that's how you survived back then at Mushroom. There was no training um, but in a way, that was, you know, for me, it was empowering. Um, you know, I made mistakes. Uh, I learnt valuable lessons. Um, and he allowed me to grow and do it my way. Because he didn't yeah. really interfere with that that day-to-day. No, and if and he he needed was, him, you know, yeah. he was there.
1: Michael was very, very much an instinct guy, wasn't he? Very instinctive. Yes. You know what I mean? And gut, the gut feel thing, which is hard to kind of – articulate sometimes to people who um was just starting out in the music business back in the day you didn't have the benefit of technology to show you what was popular and stuff you just relied on what felt good yeah. you know in, inside you you know like if I used to always say if this one white hair on my arm stood up I would sign it I would sign the act Yeah, right. but he was very instinctive did he bring that across to to his staff that, in, that instinctive nature like oh, rely yeah. on your gut rather than don't ever think it, just sign it if you love it type thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was perfectly said. It was just not overthinking it, mm. you know, back yourself.
1: Yeah, because he told me the story about Skyhooks where he said no one in their right mind would have signed Skyhooks but he just saw something that no one else saw. Mm. And I thought, I think that was the, the, the power and strength of, of Mushroom as a label. They would always and still do, particularly, you know, in um, on both sides, recording and publishing, they – the the people who work for Mushroom um, have always seen things, always been a step step ahead of the curve. I think in what you guys work with and sign.
0: Um. Well. Yeah. Yes. And you saw, no. You saw
1: interesting things. Yeah.
0: Yes. And no. Depends on the decade that you're talking yeah. about. But I hear what you're saying with sky hooks and split ends. Mm. I certainly know when I arrived in the nineties. Um, there was this feeling of you know kind of you know missing an opportunity with you know what was what was out there with the grunge scene, et cetera, mm. even though at that point it was almost coming up to the late nineties. Yeah. And wanting, you know, to be a part of that. And um, I guess, you know, we also had to compete with major checkbooks. Yeah. You know, of course. publishers um of course. often yeah, fraught I. with with those things, you know, the big advances.
1: Yeah, um I recall that because um you know I, I had a bunch of acts on, on my roster that um yeah it took it took you couldn't compete emi would come along with a massive check and the artists would go wow even the artists were surprised back then but you know mm. it was one of those things wasn't it because yeah. money money was everywhere people companies were printing cd's
0: yeah you know yeah and well. and
1: the publishers were raking it in too because you know there was a lot of you know a lot of heat on australian artists you know a lot of radio play a lot of attention.
0: Mm-hmm. For majors, mm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. For independent, family-run business, yeah, very, very different. You're spending yeah. someone's money. Yeah. You know, so there is a different approach.
1: What and was it? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. What was that approach? What made you guys different to the majors and why did you sign X that the majors couldn't get, couldn't get near?
0: Well, I think it was like working from a point of vulnerability, mm. you know, not being able to compete. Um, with the majors being perhaps, I think one of the sole. Well, yeah, I think I was the sole fe- female mm, a n r person you would at the have been. time. Yeah, so not part of the boys' club. Um, and then just working around that. So you have to talk to yourself about it. Basically, mm, mm. you know, what do I want to achieve? How do I, you know, carve something out for myself and this company? Um, and it was. Going for emerging artists—that's the—that's the road I, I took, because I knew that once they hit a certain point, that we were out of off, the game. Yeah. yeah.
1: And what yeah. and what kind of artists are we talking about? Uh, well, we, we st- well. We started with your first signing was um, uh, not, from, not there, from there, and then f- what you do from there?
0: Well, I'll talk about my second signing mm. um, was Frontside. They were an electronic music duo yep. from Melbourne, and they were like incredible, innovative geniuses, critically acclaimed. Very critically yeah. acclaimed. They signed to TBT Records in the US um, and acknowledged by their peers. Mm. But my third signing at Mushroom was something for Kate in 1998. I mean, Good. they released their debut album Elsewhere for Eight Minutes the previous year. Mm. Um, and that sublime sig- single, Captain, Million Miles an Hour, Came out as well
1: There was a special song at the time, wasn't it? It It really captured people's imagination It was Yeah, it was Um, very different to anything else out there at the time
0: That's right, Mm. yeah, that's right So that's that's how I kind of paved my way I mean, Beautiful Sharks was their first Mm. gold record And it was such a thrill And it was so wonderful to watch a band achieve success like that um, and
1: and musically on their terms because there was nothing quite like it and it wasn't traditional you know 101 pop song pop song writing it was mm. it was what is this it was a little bit off kilter
0: it, it was yeah. and they evolved and they gathered probably the mm. most loyal fan base i've um, ever unbelievable. seen I remember yeah yeah and the rest is history as they say
1: what do you think has changed in publishing from you know let's talk you know, in the mid to late 90s are the rules and the learnings Still the same. Can, it be, can they be applied today? Okay. And then we'll talk about how, you know, Mushroom Music Publishing has evolved and what it stands for now that you're in charge in 2023.
0: Mm, okay. So how how's, the, how's publishing changed since I first started?
1: Well, yeah, how has it changed? What are the fundamental changes that you've sensed from the time you started in, in the game? to where you are now and then Mm -hmm. how do you see mushroom these days mushroom music publishing you know Mm -hmm. what does it stand for in 2023 is it the same principles Mm -hmm. as they were in 1996 when you started or is it evolving still
0: okay well the first First part of the question
1: (laughs) i just threw that in there didn't i
0: yeah look i'm going through menopause (laughs) (laughs)
1: Please don't confuse me We'll edit that, Che You don't
0: have to edit that, Che You can leave that in (laughs) It's good for women to uh, share Um, Yeah, well, music publishing in general Has undergone significant changes And it's largely due to the advancement in technology So it's a shift in the consumer behaviour And those changes are, you know, how music is created It's how it's distributed and how it's consumed so that shift from physical to digital and yeah. streaming
1: well, it affected your mechanicals, didn't it?
0: It did. Mm. Yeah, it affected income for income, for the artists. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, tracking and managing those royalties for songwriters mm. is far more complex than it used to be. You know, yes. I thought it was complex back then, but actually it was quite simple. I suppose. Wonder my side. How, the, how, you,
1: how would you do it back then? You know, like oh my God, it's changed. Technology has made it much much easier to detect where your music's being, you know, played mm-hmm. and consumed. Yeah. How did we do it back then, Linda? It's the just, same it's, as we did everything. Else. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. It really is, though. Yeah, but yeah. So, there was so a lot of manual processes as yeah, well. Yeah, it
0: was. You know, obviously, there's constant debates about right. fair compensation for artists and mm. songwriters, and that's still going on. Um, the internet and streaming platforms have enabled music to reach a global audience more easily, so that has changed. Yep. This has particularly expanded um, international opportunities and exposure around the world for independent artists. Mm. Um, they don't have to rely on on a traditional, you know, record label support. That's, that's right, yeah. And that means there's a change in publishing. So publishing with advances that we offer, we can, you know, fund records being made. Uh, not trying to get rid of labels because they're – I still think that um, not everybody needs them but they're essential. Yeah. Um, but they, serve their, that, they serve their purpose. That's right they. and yeah. we can, you know, we can, um, you know, Play quite a big part with independent artists in that way. Um, what else has changed? I guess um, data analytics yes, and insights, like you know, listener behavior and demographic. Um, we don't rely on data alone with mm. A and I do you want to that. point out. Yeah, I, yeah. To, yeah. Um, I think that's really important. Mm. I think there is still an emotional attachment to the art. Yeah. I think, I still think there is an instinct. Mm. Uh, that must come from Michael. He must have embedded that in me, but it's certainly how I've always, um, you know, found music, you mm. know, through Triple R and PBS community radio stations, through um, music shows. Going uh, out to shows, yeah. Uh, and even like vinyl records, I would just buy something because I liked the artwork, mm. you know, yeah. and then you would discover what it sounds like yeah. after. Yeah. I guess artists and publishers have the ability to connect directly with their audiences now through social media and websites and other platforms. Um, it's a direct interaction and allows for like fan engagement and campaigns and market marketing strategies. Mm. Um, so there, there are a lot of changes but I imagine also that side and I see how exhausting that is for artists as well to be constantly on.
1: Well, on tw- yeah, on Twitter. On 20- TikTok and What's on in general? You've got to be on, on. general across yep. everything now, don't you? Mm-hmm. Whether it's TikTok and Instagram and your Facebook and then, yeah, you've got you got to like tick every single box. Yeah. And you said something interesting before, which I want to I want to talk to you about. So you said you've been like publisher can fund recordings. Mm-hmm. So rather than go to a label, you may be able to give someone you like or someone you see a, a big future with. A, a contribution towards their recording, and they can put it out themselves. Mm-hmm. How many times have you done that, and who, who have you done that with?
0: Oh, countless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, countless times. I, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm. Can you give us some, just an example of of someone who's taken their publishing advance and used it to make you know, their, their own record, which I think's a fantastic pursuit for anyone who doesn't not, not so much trust the label system, but probably hasn't got you know the opportunity to to explore that side of the thing. Yeah, and,
0: yeah. Um, I'm testing my memory here. It's very DIY, isn't it? It is very D-I- DIY. Um, I think Violent Soho would have been one. Um, I think definitely with King Gizzard, we would mm-hmm. have helped support.
1: Their yeah, first recordings, yeah. First
0: recordings. Um, perhaps even Chet Faker, because I, I we signed him before his first live show.
1: There you go. Um, They're three great examples. Okay, good. Three big examples. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, yeah. I mean, Chet was—they're all very successful in their own right, and, yeah. and different genres too. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's great. So, Mushroom Music Publishing, now that you're at the helm, mm-hmm. what does it stand for in 2023? What is it that sets you apart from the pack, and what sets you apart from Mushroom of ten, fifteen years ago? The same? Is it the same? The same thing? Different? You was know, it a different mentality creeping in? Are you wanting to put your own stamp on, on things?
0: Well, I've always, I've always wanted to put my own stamp on things. So that was from Day Dot. Um, well, what mushroom stands for now is very important to me. Um, I think I did mention before that we are probably one of the last remaining independent family-run businesses, and that is um, something that is very different to how other companies operate. Um, I'm very proud of that, and obviously, you know, we feel very unified and to to be successful in in Michael's name. Um, I think we stand for the craft of songwriting, um, inclusion, Equality, yep. uh, community, loyalty, transparency, collaboration. Um, f- for us, it's always been, and I, it's a very collaborative approach. Mushroom Music is a team of people, um, and we can't, you know, do that without. Like uh, the, the the team, you know, having the same values.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it really is. A, Michael used to always say, "We're a family." You know, mm-hmm. he'd scream that out
0: yeah. you know, after every meeting. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it actually is. Yeah. It actually is a big family, and it still is. And yeah. you know, having spent a bit more time recently with Matt Kadinsky, who's now flying, you know, the flag for, for mm-hmm. the family company, I can see this. I can see Michael in Matt as well. Cause, you know, because even Matt's talking about the fact that we are a big family. And that's very important, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. Matt has, has definitely continued those values. Mm. Um, and I think it has a, a lot to um, – a lot in supporting the right – you know, for us, in, we've got the support from the top down so we know that we can support writers, you know, to mm. navigate the business and the art, you know, blending the business and the art. Mm. And we can also support artists and writers to tell their own stories.
1: Let me ask you this then: Is there an artist that <clears throat> past, present, future that you would love to have signed, who want to work with? There's got to be one. Do <laughs> so you went? Oh, I want to get my hands on them
0: um, because
1: creatively, you just think that they're uh, this this group person are just a powerhouse that you you must work with them, or you wish you were to work with them.
0: Well, I'm going to say. Go on. Um, stray kids and black pink for my daughters.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. You're going to go South Korean on me?
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, yep. well, you, look, there's no shortage of money there. No. <laughs> to collect, <laughs> that's for sure. It's tick, tick, tick. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. So, black pink. You're saying black pink. Yep. The one act you'd sign. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do it for my kids. Do it
1: for your kids. Yep. So, Linda, time for some hypotheticals. I read these hypotheticals, which I love doing. Everyone gets these two, by the way, but they're different. Everyone's got a different hypothetical, but these, these are applied, applicable to you, I should say. Okay. So let's start with the time machine. If you could go back in time, what would you change or do differently, knowing what impact it would have on you now, both in personal and business terms? And this is a, this is a good one. I love, I love asking this.
0: Mm, I can't wait to hear everyone else's. You should hear them. Um, Try not to please everyone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: put myself down, uh, overthinking, mm-hmm. um, and not to downplay my unique perspective mm-hmm. many times in a room.
1: You, you have what? a lot of self doubt when you were, you know, yeah. finding your way through the industry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But thats I, I don't sense that at all now.
0: Oh, no, I've still got it. But you still got it? Yeah. I you still got oh. it. Well, one thing that really annoys me is like the loudest. People in the room being heard, Mm. and the quiet introverts have, you know, these really uh, different perspectives, um, you know, who are not heard.
1: So, have you found yourself through your career having to shout to be heard? Or
0: sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Has it worked for you? Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, But really, I don't know. I wouldn't change much. I've had an incredible experience, and it wasn't always positive. Um, but that's how you grow. And I embraced that, you know, whether it was vulnerabilities or insecurities, and worked around it.
1: So you still have those sometimes. We all have doubts, don't we? When some, oh. some mornings you wake up and you go, oh, God, am I going to do this properly? Am I going to do this interview properly? Yeah. <laughs> I had
0: doubts about today and saying yes.
1: That's good, though. It's good to hear. <laughs> We're all human, aren't we? <laughs>
0: we Ult- are. Ultimately. We
1: are. So... Let's go to the next one. If you could change anything about the modern-day publishing contract, anything, what would that be? And why would that be?
0: Right. Um, Well, as an independent publisher, Mm. we've always been artist-friendly. So it's good to see majors catching up. Yeah. I mean, I am in a position to be able to change anything on a publishing contract. I know that for a fact. So um, I – I feel like, you know, we are obviously running a business and there has to be a balance and there's got to be some protection for us as well. Um, I would certainly ask managers and lawyers to stop overblowing the marketplace with ridiculous signing advances. Yes, lawyers. And lawyers. Also.
1: Because <laughs> it, it's, it's fair to say then that um, because you're family-run, um, you're a lot more nimble. You can... You can Act on a whim, and you can change things to suit, you know, to suit the client or suit the artist. Right?
0: That's right. Yeah. Whereas
1: with you know some of the majors, they've got you know, people to report to in, in other parts of the world, and, and they can't really change particular things.
0: Yeah. Correct. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, what's, what would be the big difference between contractually? What would be the biggest difference between a major publishing contract and a mushroom publishing contract? Is it just the spirit of it? Or is, it, or is there something tangible in there that go, look, we're different because of this clause?
0: Um, well, it, it is skewed towards being artist-friendly. Mm. And I think, you know, terms, retentions, yeah. etc. cetera, um, royalty splits perhaps, you know, mm. um, will be part of that conversation.
1: Yeah, good. And long may that continue, Linda. Long I hope so.
0: yeah, I hope so. i'm I'm certainly not saying that you know um our agreements might necessarily be the best because I don't like saying that at any time, no. but i I think it is really important to um, be nimble, as you put it. yeah, and you know what you sign in that moment, is not what is representing That's an right. artist, you know. Three years later, it changes. So it has it? to change. There must be goodwill. There yeah. must be, you know, logic and yeah. reason and good conversation.
1: Yeah, and also, as I said, I touched on before, it needs to be a spirit to the to the, to the yeah. deal, you know, because yeah. you know, I remember um, Michael, funnily enough, said to me, you know, once this contract signed, you literally put it away and mm. don't have to resort to pulling it out unless there's a problem. Mm. It's about the spirit of the deal rather than what's been, you know, written down on paper and what's been signed. It's more about a relationship that you build after that, you know, the signature has been, you know, put to paper. Yeah, right? it that, is. Yeah. And, you
0: know, generally, generally when you are courting an artist, you know, those are the things that you're trying to establish, mm. you know, if your values align, you know, if your ethics align, you mm. know, are you able to work together? And Michael was very proud of the fact that, you know, he never had an artist sue him.
1: No, never, right? Mm-hmm. He's probably had some run ins over, over the course of his career. Perhaps. You know, but, but I wouldn't, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Michael's never been in court, so to speak. No,
0: yeah. no. no. Um,
1: we've talked about social media quite a bit from the start
0: mm-hmm. and how
1: we do things manually and no phones and rah, rah, rah. Imagine a world with no social media. How would you, one, discover an artist and two, measure their success? Because let's face it, it's real time testing. Mm hmm. These days, yeah, really, you can look at that. You can look at you know the amount of followers on Instagram, and you can see how many clicks they've had on their TikTok. You know, there's mm-hmm. real time measuring. So, mm-hmm. how much of that is in, f- in for you, the future mushroom? How much of that is going to be relevant to what you're doing?
0: Um, well, I don't have to imagine that world because I I lived that world, um, and we used to discover new artists mostly. By hanging out in venues and by word of mouth, you know someone you had signed and working with would say, you know, you got to check out such and such. or yeah. So you know, we go back to, to that. This. If there was
1: no social media, you think it'd be a case of like, you know, trawling the pubs and clubs of Australia and and the world for that matter, and well you know, speaking to to a venue booker, you know, ringing a- up ringing up a lawyer, going, hey, what's what's coming across your desk?
0: Yeah, it's a different time because obviously public radio played a big part as well. You'd listen to Triple R and PBS, and there was music TV shows like Recovery that existed. Um, and our social networking happened at the Punters Club in Fitzroy if you lived in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, of course. So or the club um, in Collingwood.
0: Or the club in Collingwood. Or revolver Imagine in South Yarra. Or <laughs> revolver. North yeah. side, South side. Yeah, but yeah, it was a different time. It was not so structured. It wasn't conservative. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if we could go back to that. I think people would be.
1: They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. No, would they?
0: No. Imagine going out seven nights a week again. No.
1: Oh, well, we did. Mm. And as I said, you know, you couldn't blow meetings out. You just you just got there. Because there was no, I mean, I remember the one time I had to change a meeting, I had to find a phone booth. Remember the phone booth in the middle of the city?
0: and then 20 cents. And
1: then 20 cents and go, right, I'm going to be late, you know. But rarely, rarely could you do that back then, you know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's it's not a conundrum. I just, just, it'd be great if, you know, had the best of both worlds where you relied on, you know, the old school way and the new school way.
0: Yeah. But we had youth on our side. We did. Seven nights a week, Linda. My God. Yeah. You know. Do yep. they
1: do that these days, I don't think so. I oh, know well, you, you, you don't need yeah. to. Yeah. yeah,
0: you don't need to. I mean, we still want to see people play live. I think that's incredibly important if you're the most important thing. Um, wanting to sign an uh, an artist writer that's you know record writing, recording, and performing songs. Um, and I still think that a great deal needs to go into live shows.
1: 100%. Mm. I always say that. I, I, in fact, I've never signed an act without having seen them in some kind of live capacity first. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if they can't, you know, portray their art in front of you properly, then what are you signing? You know, I mean, there, there are songwriters who, who don't like to perform, mm. who are worthy of, you know, of a deal, particularly a publishing deal. But when you're signing an act to a recording deal, you have to see them live, for crying mm. out loud, right?
0: Well, yeah, that's – I mean, that's certainly happened, you know cert- – well, I'm thinking about my recent um, travels to the U.S. for work, where you're speaking to people who have invested a, a lot of money on a TikTok sensation – and oh, it's one song.
1: It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I read the other day, um, I think it was Music Week or it may have been Billboard, that one, sorry, nine out of ten artists signed from TikTok don't get to the next single, the second single, mm. which is extraordinary. Yet, they spend so much money on the first single. And if it doesn't work, mm. then, you know, you're only as good as your last video on TikTok, Really? which is a crazy way to do A&R, but it happens, right?
0: It happens. Yeah. The one thing you see over and over again are the artists that have longevity are the ones that, you know, um, obviously have quality songwriting and quality songs. But enjoy the touring and the live performance. Yeah, and they
1: don't follow trends, and they mm. don't—they uh, don't fit, you know, what it, what's deemed to be the th- you know the thing of the day, you know, whatever it may be. At that's this time. right.
0: Yeah, the art comes. Yeah, the, art, the art's first yeah. every
1: time, and that's why yeah. they have longevity.
0: Yeah, and they might not be played on Triple J for quite some time, you know. Or not at all. Or, or not at all. Yeah, uh, in some cases, and then you know you also see. And experience the artists that don't make it past their, you know, their first album. Yeah. And it happens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's,
1: you know, it's, it's competitive right now and it's tougher. There's so much choice that we have, you know, as a, as a record-consuming or music-consuming public. You know, the long tail is getting longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. So you better be good live and you better be able to build an audience, you know, because that's all you've got at the yep. end of the day, you know, yeah. songs and your audience, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully the two can, you know, meet, you know, in a, in a perfect storm.
0: Yeah. You know? And it goes back to, you know, rehearsing. Yep. Yeah. That old work hard. A work hard. <laughs> yeah. Head down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I love the way Nick Cave talks about it, actually. Well, not, not so much the rehearsal part, but the way he approaches. Yeah. He
1: goes to work every day, right? He said, he said yeah. it's like almost like a nine to five job, didn't he say? Yeah. Or he gets up in the morning and you know, I'm going to go to the studio and write a song. And then does it every day. And then I'm going to rehearse and then I'm going to plot a tour. It's a a job, right? That's
0: right. I heard on that um, podcast Mm. that he did with Louis Theroux that he he was scared to slow down because he might enjoy it.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) 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 Well, if anyone needs to slow down, it's probably in a cave. Let's talk about your favourite signing. Or if you want, we can flip it, Linda, and we can talk about one that you wish you hadn't signed. No Mm. names need to be mentioned. Unless you really want to, <laughs> Linda, looking at you.
0: Um, I, I have many favourite signings and we work with some of the most iconic Let's
1: talk about a few. Which, ones, which ones do you love working ANZ. with? Okay. Um, I know it's hard to say what's your favourite child in front, of, in front of our children here. Yeah, yes. You know?
0: Well, I've signed over 200 artists and writers. Is it
1: 200? Yeah. Okay. In
0: the early years on my own and then with my team, which was Michael Cusick, who's- Yes, I remember mean Mike. Um, left uh, and now, with Errol Yodigal and with Julian Magreuther. Um, I think there's not actually many on the list that uh, I didn't want to sign. I think they've all been experiences, and you know. I've learned a lot through mm-hmm. it all, uh, but there was actually there was one band.
1: Go on, <laughs> I want a name. I'm trying to get a name out of Linda. I think
0: you'll know, but go on. They were really promising. He was a great songwriter, um, and those songs were very promising. He was a lead singer, uh, but the lead singer, sorry, had a had a heroin addiction. Oh, God. Um, it
1: narr- narrows it down.
0: Yeah, back then we had a portable studio. Mm. Um, that came in, I think it was three or four like road cases. Mm. And our writers would, you know, drive their van or car to mushroom. They'd pick up these, you know, pretty big road cases. They'd borrow them yeah, right. and they'd demo songs or they'd record yeah. live or whatever they wanted to do with them. Yeah. But this particular writer that mm. we were si- that we signed picked them up under the guise of demoing new songs. And he hocked them. I
1: was going to say, yeah. cash converters. That sounds like a real cash converters That's a cash fairy tale.
0: Moment. So their manager and I went around to all the cash converters.
1: I think I know who you're talking about, but we're not going to say. No. No. And we did find that. them and we I'm had sure, them yeah. returned. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I think I remember this now. Mm. It, it jogs my, yeah, I'm jogging my memory and I think I know who you're talking about. I think the
0: same individual dropped past a studio where one of your bands was recording and a lot of equipment. Went missing
1: that uh-huh. night. Ah, Let's not go there. We won't go there. We won't go there. Yeah,
0: It's colourful, but, you know, life is difficult and people are And messy. are you saying
1: that's the one act you wish you hadn't assigned? Is that the one?
0: No, I'm just saying it was right. an experience. Experience. Yeah.
1: So what, what's the one act you wish you hadn't assigned? Is that where you want to go? No. No? You want to <laughs> go to an act that you wish you had assigned?
0: No, I think we've done it. We've
1: done it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost had her. Almost had her. Okay, Lida, let's talk about the state of publishing just now in Australia in general. I mean, we've touched on it a few times throughout the interview, but I want to be a bit more specific. How has the landscape across the entire industry, like you know, globally changed the publishing landscape?
0: Okay. Um,
1: I know how it's changed for Mushroom and for yourself. We've, 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 yeah. we've talked about that. Yeah. But just across the board, how has the publishing landscape really or has it changed? Are we uh, Oh it's you know? changed, yeah.
0: Okay. It's it's undergone significant changes. It, I think it's largely driven by advancements in technologies. Um I think we've I think we've kind of touched on this before. Um, but shifts in, you know, how how people create and distribute mm. music. So that's that's one and consume music. Um, there's a shift from physical to digital and streaming. Yep. Um tracking- which, is, which is a
1: massive change, really, isn't it?
0: Oh, that—that that is a huge change wow. to our music industry yeah, and, the yeah, and the livelihoods, the livelihoods of yeah. artists. Yeah. yeah,
1: the hip pocket for sure.
0: Um, tracking and managing royalties for songwriters is more complex. There are constant debates about fair compensation for artists and songwriters. And every time and there talking, is a new platform, yeah, that like debates Spotify. yeah starts all over again. Yep, there are many. Um, the internet and streaming platforms have enabled music to reach a global audience more easily, I guess, that's a positive. Yeah. That has particularly expanded international opportunities and exposure around the world for independent artists, in particular, um, without the need, you know, again, for a traditional um, record label. Um, I guess artists and publishers have the ability to connect directly. But I, I feel like we've touched we've, on this. We've touched yeah, on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: We have touched on that. Yeah. So, so all that said, what would be the biggest misconceptions about publishers and publishing
0: um, in you know
1: in mm, the world right now?
0: Yeah, there's probably a few. Yeah. Unfortunately, because One, back in
1: the day, I'll give you my my interpretation. Back okay. in the day, you know, I remember going to a conference in in New York, and it was a Warner conference. Um, there's no names need to be need to be named. Um, oh, go it was, on. It was a Warner conference. Tell but, us the name. No, but it was a Warner <laughs> conference. But I remember walking in, and I was relatively new to the game, and I walked in. It was a plush hotel in New York, and in one corner of the room there were these guys dressed to the nines, smoking cigars, drinking cognac. Another part of the room there were all these kind of like scruffy-looking A&R types, and I remember saying to someone – all part of the same company, mind you, I'm going, who are those guys and who are those guys? And, and the guy goes, that's the publishing arm. That was like smoking the cigars and drinking the oh, coffee yeah. because they were all raking the money in. And, these, and that's the A&R team over here, the recording A&R team. who looked like they you know just fell out of fallen out of bed. Right. So my, my perception was, ah, so the publishers are the fat cats. They're the ones who, you know, these guys do all the work trying to, you know, trying to find the bands and these guys take, you know, make the money from, from the songwriting. So right. that was my... Yeah, you know, misconception back then. Yeah. So, I'm not saying it's the same now, but that was my
0: the old first, yeah old school yeah the old
1: school you know viewpoint or mm. my initial impression of publishers back then. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the biggest misconception? Well, I, I think today?
0: the biggest misconception is that don't sign a publishing deal in your early in your career. Yep. And wait for the big advance. I mean, that's one.
1: That can be counterintuitive, can't it?
0: Well, it can. We can. Yeah, we can go further into that, but I think also there's a misconception that publishing is just about getting sync.
1: That's right. And sync
0: is, you know, matching music to visuals, film, TV, advertising.
1: Um, You hear that from artists all the time. If I sign a publishing deal, it means I'm going to get on film and TV and radio and I'm going to get on advertising campaigns. It's not not as easy as it seems, right?
0: No, and it's not all all about that. That's right. It's part of it, but Yeah, yeah. That's a big misconception. The other is that they lose creative control. Um, and I think you know the ones that these are the ones that we've kind of faced more regularly. But independent artists don't need a publisher, and to address some of that, um, a publisher can and has you know played large roles in launching careers and supporting writers. I mean, Mushroom, for example, are true champions of emerging artists, and we pride ourselves on nurturing artists sure. and how that is done or examples of how that is done. Uh, and again, because we're signing still um, artists and writers quite early in their career, you know, we can build a team around them by finding a manager, label or a booking agent. Um, we can build their experience in songwriting by organising collaborations, Um we can provide international support and help navigate, you know, international markets. We can optimise royalty collection. So um, a lot of independent writers think they don't, they don't need to do it. They can do it on their, on their on own. Their own. Yeah. Um, there's also like transitions from recording and performing artists who have had really big careers uh, in that space who now want to change direction and become a producer writer and interestingly enough we we do this and i think we do it very well and we've done it for a long period of time so we've seen um what it takes you know to to make a successful um transition in a career like this so Um, you're saying
1: someone who was you know a recording artist Realizing that hey, you know what, I'm just going to be a producer writer rather well, than rather than trying to have a recording career. Yeah, yeah. because everything lot,
0: right? you know has um,
1: a used by date, a
0: natural end. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know they 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 want to continue a career in, in music in in some space. Mm. And what we found is as as popular as you may have been um, in you know said band yeah. as a recording and touring yeah. band. Uh, you're really starting all over again. Yeah. And there's a lot of competition in this space. Uh, So, you know, I think we're really good at building careers. Yeah, which a
1: lot of publishers probably don't do, Linda. Like you were saying before, um, you know, you help find a manager. Who does that? Which publisher helps someone find a manager? and they probably do, but you don't hear about those kinds of stories very often.
0: Yeah, and it's a frequent story within yeah. um,
1: our company. But sometimes, I, I you know, there's publishers who probably go, well, who's their manager? I'll only, I'll only sign them if I can see a really good team built around them. But you're saying that you guys can help build the team after you've signed the act. Yeah. Which is amazing.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, oh, we think we have to think outside the square yeah, like or that. the box, mm. as Errol always pulls me up on that one. But he um, it, ha- it,
1: it pulls you up in a good way.
0: No, as in I always say, I think I always use the wrong word. I, as I say, think outside the square. Is it think outside the square, square? box? The box, it doesn't box whatever it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> yeah, still a square, yeah, um, exactly. But it's it's um, you know, separating ourselves from the rest of the publishing pack. Um, you know, being available, answering emails. Mm-hmm. Um, getting on phone calls, uh, I, that's really important to all of us, that we are, you know, fast responders, that we...
1: Well, you're you very active in an artist's career. We are, sound of it. yeah,
0: and try and find solutions. Yeah. Um, you know, there are strategy syncs around releases, mm. for mm. instance. Um, you could, you know, get a fantastic promo that aligns with a, a single release and mm. we um, see... You know, s- singles released, and then we are able to, you know, align uh, a, a a sync thereafter where you it hasn't been an example of that.
1: Well, I think that, like- I think
0: there's a lot of examples with that. I mean, there's probably I'll try and think of one as I keep talking. But what we do see is spikes. You know, oh, in of streaming, Shazam, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and, and people are more interested in it because, you know, obviously television, yeah. you get a, a greater audience. Um,
1: I noticed Scribe on the new Subway ad and yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, people are talking about Scribe um, and one of my sons asked me about the whole Scribe thing yeah. because of that ad, I imagine. Vance Joy was another one you used really, you know. Vance
0: Joy was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Scribe was ours. Um, Vance Joy, we managed to do several, you know, um, Sinks for the same song. I was going to
1: say for a while there, it was like in a bunch of commercials. Yeah, which
0: is incredibly unusual. Which
1: is is rare, right?
0: Yep. Yeah. But I think providing guidance and creative input, you know, is is really an important part. And a writer can take as as little or as much as they want. You know, some are very do-it-yourself and they're happy to just forge their own path. Yeah. And we love working with those, you know, writers as well. There's really no rules around it.
1: Do you find that um, the squeaky spoke on the wheel gets the oil or is it more a case of, you know, when it comes to sync opportunities, is it the, is it the artist who's constantly ringing you up and going, I want to be synced or is it, is it horses for courses?
0: It it all depends on the song. It's not a squeaky wheel. No. Um, It all depends on whether they have written a song that is suitable for sync. Right. Now, I don't And that's a big misconception, isn't it? It's a big
1: misconception out there. Yeah. I hear artists say it all the time. I'm going to, you know, I want to be synced and I've got the song that's perfect for sync and it's right place, right time a lot of the time, isn't it?
0: It, Well, it's right place, right time. It's having genuine contacts, so having a very proactive sync department that can get those Songs out there, um, but most importantly, it's about having a song that's syncable. And I was just about to say, I, I don't, you know, if you want to write for sync, that's great, and we'll give you the landscape and the briefs and the keywords and what is required out there for a song, you know, to work to visuals mm. and for them to be able to edit it correctly. Um, but there's quite quite often, you know, negative lyrics or whatever in songs; they they'll sound great. Um, but they're not suitable for sync. Right. But everyone thinks they know what a good of sync song is. Of course, everyone does. We're, yeah. all,
1: we're all experts in A&R, aren't we? Linda? Yeah,
0: we really are. But I, I like the idea of um, people just writing what comes out naturally unless, you know – they want to write to a brief. To a brief, yeah. yeah.
1: Which 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 can ha- which happens, right? Yeah. You guys get a brief and you send it out to the artists you think are, are probably more appropriate for you know for that campaign.
0: Oh, absolutely. Or you, or yeah. Is it across
1: the board? You send it to all your roster, or do you do you, do you pick? No,
0: any? we don't. We don't send to all the roster, but we do send to anyone that has interest in writing yeah. to a brief. You yeah, know, great. we don't pick who they are, but if they put their hand up for it, and we've been really successful with that. You know, getting um, several car ads that have been rolled over, and they can be really lucrative. So. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Now, looking at the Australian landscape and even international and seeing women in positions of power, I mean, I can't remember the last time, or if there is one, you could probably help me here, a head of publishing company in Australia being female. Um. Can you, in,
0: in
1: my... 30 years, I'm trying to like rack my brain. I'm sure there's been samples of, or examples of it, I should say, internationally, mm. but has there ever been a female running an Australian record label or a publishing company, oh, independent or, or major?
0: Yeah, well, there is now. Um, you know, Van, Van Pick and Runs
1: this year, this, yeah. year. Oh, this year, yeah, this year, yeah, this year. You, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're relatively new. You know, in terms yeah. of you know being the head of the company yep. and publishing, and mm-hmm. Van's relatively new. That's right. But prior to that, I can't think of any, unless you can. There's been heaps of females in a- pieces of A and R, like like you were before you were made MD. Yeah. But it's it's a big step. It's a big it's a big change. I think, and a significant change.
0: Yeah. Well overdue.
1: Well overdue. Mm. It's been well overdue. How do you feel about that?
0: Well, I I still think there's a lack of diversity and gender equality in the music industry. Um, Should we talk about the Me Too movement? Yeah, because it's
1: all intertwined. Yeah.
0: Well, I I think that why I bring it up as well is I think the Me Too movement shed light on Mm. the extent of the problem in our industry. Mm. Um, There's... uh, Several things, I guess we can cover here, but there's issues of you know sexual harassment and abuse and gender inequality. Um, But it encouraged individuals to come forward with their stories of you know sexual harassment and abuse. Um, I guess it led to increased accountability for perpetrators of harassment and abuse, and prominent figures within the industry um, were accused of misconduct and have been removed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's that side of it, but it also provided a, a platform for survivors to share their experiences, it em- empowering them, you know, to break their silence and seek support. So that movement, I think, also spurred the creation of networks and organisations and resources for survivors in the music industry because I know ARIA and APRA put together a working group, which is, you know…
1: Yeah, that's right. But Linda, is it more than just the sexual harassment sort of angle? Is it more about the underlying psychological um, effects of having, you know… A male, you know, a predominantly male-run company, whether it's recording or publishing or whatever, it's it's not just the, the as I say, not just the physical, oh, you know, harassment thing. It's it goes beyond that, I think.
0: Mm.
1: You know, like you know, like there's one thing to do that, but another thing to actually use your use your power to undermine your staff or people around you, whether it's an artist or whether it's you know a fellow a co-worker. It's more than that, I think. Yeah. Am I am I Uh, saying that?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's changing. It is is more than that. I mean, that movement prompted you know more inclusive representation of women, Um, and the music industry is you know very neglected um, in that area. It's very the marginalised groups or the non-binary individuals um, in all aspects of our industry don't really have a voice.
1: but it's fair to say that it is changing. I can sense a change.
0: I think it's a very slow
1: change. But it's changing nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it is. I can yeah. feel it changing.
0: I, yeah, there are changes. It's a very slow change. I mean, artists are scrutinised for their harmful lyrics and and um, content that objectify women. So I think there is a responsibility of, you know, artists shaping the, the, the cultural narrative. On, on
1: both sides of the um, fence, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, but yeah, the music industry—I don't know—they they, there's more review, um, you know, implementing policies, you know, aim to create safer environments and and for all individuals, like working in the field, um, whether that's you know codes of condu- or conduct, sorry, trading programs, or improving you know reporting mechanisms, or just make it a a, a, be- a better place, or perhaps you know give more opportunities uh, for, for that change. For the change. Yeah. And do you
1: think – I'll take it one step further. Do you think our federal and state governments can help more with respect to, to that? You know, and, right. and, and what can they do to, to help, you know, um, not just women in power but, as you said, people who, who you know, feel marginalised?
0: Yeah. I do want to say, before we get on to the federal government… Yeah. Is there um, something else that… Well, um, I just… I think it's important to state that I I don't know a woman who hasn't had an experience of abuse, harassment, in the industry, worse across the board. In general, Um, you know, I it's funny because well, it's not funny at all. But um, my memory of the nineties is not so great. You know, it was a heady time, Mm. Um, but what is scarred into my memory banks is you know all the things that have happened um that are that you don't want to talk about. Sure. You know, those are the things that you remember. So it sure. is it is lingering. Yeah. Um
1: and it's just not our industry. It's 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 you know, it's across the board. Imagine the movie industry and, and the stories that can, you know, have come out of that. Well with it's, Harvey it's, Weinstein and, and the like. Yeah. It's it's across all creative industries and even it's not just creative industries. I think it's every industry, Linda. It is every industry. Everyone's it is everywhere. got a story. Yeah. Right? So it's it's more a yeah it's a s societal thing. Um, and it's it's widespread yeah right
0: absolutely it is it's wide widespread um but i've had you know i've had the struggles with that the double standards the you know in forms of bias or judgment mm. um you know being a parent not being a parent how often do you go out um you know marrying a musician i had a lot of grief with that one um, but it's just their inadequacies that they're spewing out on you. you yeah, know? right. Um, but I've had th- the experience of men speaking over me, interrupting me, um, claiming successes when I know, you know, it was it was, you. It was yep. my responsibility or the responsibility of myself and my team. Um, but yes, it is a, a global issue. Yeah.
1: But hopefully, you know, we can we can we can we can see change. I'm definitely sensing a change, particularly in the last – well, since the Me Too movement start around the world, you can, you can sense that there are companies who are making proper change. Yeah. Not, not just talking it but walking it as well now. Yeah. And that, I think it's going to continue. That's why we want.
0: we want to see that. And the change is good and, and welcomed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, look, I, I'm sure everybody has um, – their stories but what you do want to provide i think in any situation is a safe um you know culture yeah Sa- safe safe environment sorry yeah uh, and and that is you want to do that for your artists as well you don't want to send them out on a collaboration knowing that you know the there are stories place. about that person yes right so you it's a huge responsibility it is. and we take it very seriously
1: so Linda, what can and I've asked this of um, everyone I'm speaking to because I think it's a very important point that I'm, that I'm trying to make here. Um, and even though we've, we think we've made advances in the, in the past few years, particularly with the Labor government in Melbourne or Victoria, what more can the federal government and the state governments do to help create, foster, develop, you know, Australian music and and make it ultimately exportable because that's the end game for a lot of our artists because there's only so much you can do here before you need to find another market.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and on top of that, while we're talking about governments, can they also help with, you know, um, wage parity or disparity, or whatever you want to call it, and, and the place of, you know, women in positions of power in the creative industries?
0: mm well, globally, women only make 77, cent, seventy-seven cents for every dollar earned by men. Or um, the the Labor government has formed Music Australia, um, so that is a start. Considering the Liberal government completely dismantled any support or care for the arts in our industry. Um, what can be done is invest in you know music ed- education and funding and. Grants.
1: And When you say music education, are we are we saying from a young age, like in schools? I so think so. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I do. I think so. Funding and grants are incredibly important in mm. in all areas, recording and touring. Do you um, think there should be more of that? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, increase local music played on commercial radio.
1: That's been going on, for The conversation, Linda, has been going on for years and, you know, we should take a leaf out of a country like Canada's book where it's 30% domestic music minimum mm. must mm. be played between the hours of 6am and 6pm rather than midnight till 6am like we do here in this country to, yeah. to get to our 20% quota.
0: It's shameful. And it's
1: catalogue that they're playing anyway.
0: It's, that's right. It's
1: probably Cold Chisel, you yeah. know, nothing against Cold Chisel or no. or Ice House or any of those kinds of acts, but that's how they fill that quota. So yeah. that's one area that they've got to change.
0: It would make a huge difference a to our difference. industry. Massive um, difference. I think collaboration with industry is really important, yep. like collaborate closely with industry associations, music labels, managers, um, artists, and develop effective strategies that align with the needs of the music sector So it's basically conversation, you know, finding out, not just.
1: That's right. Sitting down at the table. Yeah, sitting down at the table. Michael and and his team are good at that too, like having, you know, um, deep and meaningful conversations with, with, you know, politicians about changing, particularly here in Victoria.
0: Yeah, Michael was very good at that. Very good at that. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: that's that's an ongoing conversation and it needs to be massaged and it still needs to be kept alive, you know, um, for years to come
0: it 's extremely important yeah. and there are you know there, there are voices that uh, need to be heard. Um, visa and touring support is another one, mm. like simplifying visa processes yeah. and providing assistance for international touring will make it easier for australians
1: it's, some, it takes it 's expensive it can take a long time to get a visa, a touring yeah. visa, you know depending on where you 're going, of course, but it still is a very lengthy and laborious process.
0: It's a deterrent. Yeah, and yeah. you you know of, often hear the you know frustrations of um, managers and, and artists in this space. Um, it, it, yeah, it just needs to be. Needs to be refined simple. and simplified. Yeah, yeah I agree. and make it easier for artists to perform overseas, and they can connect with global audiences. It would make a big difference. Yeah, I think the promotion of ind- indigenous. Um, music is incredibly important as well. Yes, I supporting, agree. promoting the export of Indigenous music and culture, um, recognizing the uh, unique contribution to Australia's you know music identity. Um, yeah, that's there's probably a long list.
1: There's a long list. But a at, long least, list. at least at least it's time to think about it. I think mm-hmm. you know, and it's I think moving we're, in the right direction. It is, and we're lucky yeah. that we've got you know primarily you know a, a Labour government in pretty much every state. Mm. By one, right, so mm-hmm. we 're lucky in that in sense because they they seem to be a lot more open to talking to us as an industry
0: um, yeah It's now all about the action and it what happens yeah to- totally is talk the talk
1: let 's finish off with a subject which is hot on everyone 's lips right now and really applies to publishing in in a in a major way i think um and that is AI and its place in the music industry i mean it's going to it's it's it 's happening now, you know. And people are saying, how can AI replace real songwriting and stuff? But there's going to be a segment of the, you know, content creators, audience, I guess if you call music makers, who are going to be making music from artificial beats. Yeah. Simple as that. How do you feel about that? First as a publisher in a business sense, but then also ethically. Mm. What's your stance on it?
0: Well the the biggest issue is ethical mm. and um, cop- copyright related implications. Mm. Um, ensuring ensuring that AI generated content respects copyright laws is essential you know to maintaining the integrity of the music industry. And obviously, AI you know ingests, ingests music, that's where they're able you know to to replica um, you know so, so, someone well known. I mean, they've got to get it from somewhere in the first place. Um as with all new technology there's people that will embrace it and will do good and there's also the issue of for publishers and others of how we're going to license it and protect the original songwriters of that music. So how do
1: you, how do you do that? How do you how do you protect the original composer?
0: Well that's a discussion that's it's happening ongoing, right? In, it's yeah happening right now. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And it's a, a global discussion. There is a, a lot of concern about it. Um, I though would like to hope that um, you know, music at least. I, I I know I'm not I'm not naive. I know that AI will infiltrate, but I'm attracted to humility, um, compassion, freaks, weirdos, the Probably, black sheep. proper human emotion, right? Yeah, the yep. reflective, the curious types. Um, the storytellers, the human experience. And I hope that AI could never replicate that in the art of songwriting.
1: So, there's nothing exciting about the whole concept of AI for, for you as a publisher? Um, nothing remotely exciting about it?
0: I would like to say, let's um, wait and see. Wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because it's going to, yeah, it is going to infiltrate and how it, how it impacts us remains to be seen. But I, I get the, the feeling that it's it's going to be around and we have to deal with it at some point.
0: Well, we're not going backwards. We can't we can't reverse the technology that is um, up and coming. But you know, I have hope that with what I've you know said before in relation to the people that get up in the morning. And that's all that they can do. They have to. Write. I love what
1: you said before. It is storytelling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's human. It's human storytelling. You know, it yeah. comes from a real emotion, a, a real place. Isn't yeah. It, you know, their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Let's finish off with one heartbreak. Heartbreak.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, most great songs are written on heartbreak. Yeah. Let's just finish off on one one simple question. You know, you may have an answer, or you may not have an answer, but if you want to get involved in the music industry or publishing these days and someone comes up to you and says, what should I look out for? What should I do? What, what advice do you give someone who wants to start in publishing in 2023? Mm. Simply, just a couple of simple rules. Um, Things I, I, to look out for.
0: Yeah. I don't, I, I don't necessarily think there is a, a blueprint. Right. So um, I guess it comes down to the basics, you know. I, I'm not a good example of that because I really stumbled into um, – working or,
1: or, you know, having a career in music. Well, yes and no, because you still have to be good once you got there to maintain well, your I, role. I had to work very hard, yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. But you must have been really good at what you did for you to maintain your role and get to where you are. You you know, you know you're not a slouch, you know. I'm definitely not a slouch. No. 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 So what, 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 very pragmatic. So what do you need to succeed? To, you need to, to grit. Yeah. yeah,
0: you need grit. Um, I think, yeah, the work ethic is incredibly important. The love of music. Um and it, there's this passion that I often see in others, and how they go about, you know, signing things. Um, and it, without that passion, I just you, you're a music lover. You're not an A and R person. You know, it's That's a very really good point. Yeah,
1: Linda, thanks so much, and thank Rocky, you. thank you so much for entertaining us. Rocky's Linda's dog. Yeah, who, who's it's on my so, lap? <laughs> so cute. Thanks for yeah, thanks for for, for joining us. Thanks and for having me. It was a great me. conversation.
0: Thanks, Michael.
1: You've been listening to Vinyl Tap, Inside the Music Industry, the podcast, with Michael Parisi. If you enjoyed that episode, please go to my website for more information about any of my guests, www.vinyltappodcast.com, all one word, of course. And we'll see you on next week's installment.